please turn with me, if you would, to the very end of our Old Testament, to the prophet Malachi. We're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 13, and then we will uh, read through the end of the book uh, to chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, we're going to uh, finish, conclude our uh, series this morning then on the Minor Prophets, the the portraits of the King that we've been looking at over the past several weeks. We're going to wrap that up here this morning. So if you would, uh, look with me, uh, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogance and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, bless us now with your spirit. We pray that you would testify to our hearts that the reminders that you give us in your word are true and help us to trust in them, we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, arguments and uh, disagreements, uh, conflict resolution, these are all uh, parts of what it means to be living together and living with one another. And uh, as we're now in this Christmas season and this Christmas day, uh, sometimes uh, these uh, arguments can, can uh, come back in full force, and uh, uh, especially during the holidays. And I, I just saw uh, online uh, where uh, someone posted how um, he used, instead of using wrapping paper to wrap his gifts, uh, the son used his mother's uh, wallpaper that she was going to use to decorate the whole house. And, of course, um, that led to a very <laughs> big uh, disagreement. 
Uh, so all kinds of just different ways that we can get on each other's nerves at times, and maybe especially so during uh, the holiday season as we're gathered together, family and relatives in close quarters, uh, dealing with sickness, dealing with all kinds of things. Uh, there's a lot of stress, uh, a lot of shopping that may or may not have gotten done, a lot of gifts that may or may not have arrived on time, all of these things. And it's all too easy that we become uh, quick-tempered with one another. And the longer that we know each other, the longer we've been in relationships, whether that's spouses or siblings or parents and children, uh, we, we know how to push each other's buttons. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you've already had an argument over this weekend and over this holiday season. Maybe you've already spoken harsh words to someone. Maybe even on your way to church this morning, uh, there was things that you said that you regretted. And all these disagreements and this anger and this frustration can at times spill over into our relationship with God. And so have you ever had harsh words with God before? Have you ever felt like lashing out at him? Have you ever felt unsure about how to approach these kinds of feelings? How to approach God? What's, what's fascinating, what's interesting for us is that at the end of the Minor Prophets, at the end of this book of the Twelve that we've been considering for the past several weeks, this last prophet Malachi, he ends uh, with a series of disagreements between God and his people. And these are often referred to as the, the disputes in, in Malachi. These, the, uh, there's six disputes in this book in Malachi as God and his people are going back and forth and going at it with one another. And it's, it's fascinating that even after all the ways that God has already demonstrated himself as faithful to his people, they're still arguing back to him. And these are no minor arguments about wallpaper and Christmas presents. These, these are questions that are hitting at the very fabric, the very nature of their relationship with God. There's six of these disputes in Malachi, and, and uh, they go back and forth. Malachi uh, chapter 1 uh, begins, and it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? So you see the disagreement, the dispute. And he, they, they continue all throughout. Then there's a dispute about how uh, Israel has defiled the temple and the priesthood and how they've rejected God as their father. A third dispute arises over idolatry and, and adultery. And, and, and God shows that uh, they've been unfaithful to him the, the same way that a spouse can be unfaithful uh, to uh, their other spouse in an unfaithful marriage. In the fourth dispute, Israel argues that God has neglected them. But God answers that very definitively. I have not neglected you at all. But in fact, in the fifth dispute, God will return to them and show them that it's Israel. It's you who have neglected me. Have not given me my due. Have not contributed and given to the temple that was being reconstructed. And then finally, as we get to our passage here, this final dispute. In a way, it, it sums up all the others. It is a question for all of us to consider. And we could sum it up by saying and asking, is it pointless to serve God? Is it of any worth at all? This was the final disagreement that Israel made. They, they said in verse 14, is it vain or is it meaningless to serve God? What is the profit of us keeping his charge? That is referring to the duty or the, the obligation, the charge of keeping his word and following his commandments. That is what they're asking. Is there, is there any point in following God's word? 
Because it doesn't seem to be making any difference. We're over here following God's word, keeping his commandments, or, or so we think. But, but all those people who couldn't care less about anything that God says, they're doing just fine. They're, they're doing even better than we are. Notice how they say it in verse 15. This is Israel's dispute against the Lord and Israel saying, and now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Not only are they doing well, but they are blatantly doing the things in spite of God, shaking their fist at God, doing the things that he hates, and they're not facing any consequences for it. So why should we bother either? That's the question. And maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you feel that way now. Maybe you wonder about that. Maybe you think you've, you've been doing your best. You've been uh, going to church. You've been seeking God and his word and, and, uh, and through all your prayers and things just aren't going well for you. Or maybe you've seen how colleagues and other coworkers have, have cheated and scammed the system. And over here, you're, you're trying your best to, to honor God in your workplace. But you see them uh, getting ahead in life and not suffering any penalty for doing so. Maybe you've been trying to grow in your faith and your spiritual disciplines and, and you're not growing the same way that other people in the church seem to be. And you're wondering what the, the point of it all is. And you're ready to give up. And maybe you've told God as much and that you're sick and tired of it all. And it's, it's fascinating that this is the final topic. This is the final thing in this series and in this this. Uh, the, of the minor prophets, the final message that God's prophet, his final prophet of the Old Testament, before Jesus comes, before John the Baptist arrives on the scene, this is the final thing that's discussed. But how good is it? And how good is our God who answers these questions and these disputes? And he does so not as an angry father, but as a loving, compassionate, and comforting father. Even when we speak our harshest words to him, he answers us with comfort. And that's what he does for us here. God answers this final dispute. He answers it in two ways. There's uh, two things that we can look at here in this text. He, re- he, does, he gives us two reminders. He first reminds us who we are. And then he reminds us of what's to come. He reminds us of who we are in, in verses 16 through 18 and then reminds us again of what's to come in, in chapter 4, those six verses. At the end of the Minor Prophets, the end of the Old Testament, as we wrap up this series, as we bring this year to an end, we are left with these two reminders. Is it really worth following God? When our spiritual lives feel like we're tires stuck in the snow and not gaining any traction no matter how hard we try. Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth continuing and keeping on? As we face uncertainty going into a new year after facing a lot of difficulty in the years prior. Is there anything that we can build our lives around? Is there any hope for us that our marriages will get better? That our, our lives will get better? That we'll be able to, to leave behind any habitual sin or struggles that we have? Is there any hope for us? These are the questions. These are the disputes that God's people raise. And he hears all of those prayers that we pray. And he answers them in our text this morning, giving us these two reminders. So let's look at them. The first reminder he gives us is he reminds us of who we are. 
All right, kids, it's Christmas Day. Who here has already gotten to open presents? Presents? Yeah, your parents have let you open presents? Yeah? Okay, awesome. And do, do people still have some presents left to open? There's still some left today to open? Everybody's already opened up. The, Caleb has some presents. That, okay, perfect. All right, so Caleb, I'm talking to you right now. No, it's, it's so exciting to have those presents and to, to wonder what they'll be and to, to have that, that big uh, just desire of the thing that we're looking for the most. So I want you to think of that thing that either you've already opened or you might be opening later today that you, that you desire and that you want the most. Uh, Jess and I opened some gifts last night and we had a, a gift package from uh, some of her family uh, from Virginia come. And do you know what I got in, in that package? One of the things I got was a new pair of socks. How exciting is that? Kids, did you ask for socks this year? Did any of you kids? Everyone's like, no, I didn't ask for socks. I know one of the kids here already did get socks, and I think that's awesome. Well, here's the thing about being an adult is that you actually love getting socks for Christmas. I, I can't explain it, but that's one of the rules. That's one of the things that happens when you become an adult, Evelyn, is that you love getting socks. I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes we can, all of us, think of our relationship with God in this way. We can think of it in terms of, of getting something from Him, re- receiving gifts from Him, receiving things uh, that, that we desire. Sometimes we think that God is, is only there to make us feel better or to solve all of our problems or to give us our best life now. And, and this mindset, unfortunately, is, is one of the most predominant uh, and most prevalent forms of Christianity in America. The, the health and wealth gospel, the name and acclaim it, your best life now, whatever, whatever phrase or term or however you want to define that, you can pick one. But this is a large section of the American population that views God as some kind of cosmic butler in the sky. And we can ring a bell, we can send a prayer to him, and he'll, he'll come and he'll meet our needs. And as much as we reject that kind of theology, sometimes we know that it can creep into our lives. And, and we can think and view God in that way and with that mindset, mindset. And it can shape our view of God. And we can think of God as, as a gift giver. And he certainly is that. He does give us good gifts, but sometimes we can expect him and think of God that he gives gifts according to our desires and our standards and according to our time frame. And that is what Israel was doing in this final dispute and this disagreement and the argument that they were having. They said, what is the point of keeping his charge or his duties or his obligations? Well, you can see the problem with that question Right away, that problem with that line of reasoning, they're asking, is there anything in it for us? That's not a good way to to go about it at all. But in fact, when they say, what is the profit of our keeping his charge? That verb they use there for profit, it refers to some kind of personal gain. And usually some kind of gain that was done in an underhanded way. All for the, the person, the oneself, without any regard for any other, certainly any regard for God at all. And so you can see the mindset that Israel was in. What's in it for us? And it's startling when we read that. Even after the kingdom was divided, after the destruction and exile, after all the, the promises and assurances from God's prophets, and even now after God had brought them back from exile and he was reestablishing them in the land, They still proceed to say, what are we getting out of this deal? And who put you in charge, God? 
And why should we only do what you say? Can you believe that that would be how they act and how they respond? Can you believe how ungrateful they are? Well, I hope that you can, because that's very similar to how we are at times, is it not? We can act the very same way. But what is absolutely startling in this passage and the scandal and the shock of this story is not in their response and their argument, but it's in God's response and how he responds to them. How does God respond to this self-centered and and oblivious and and rude and temperamental uh, dispute from his people? He says to them in verse 17, he says, they shall be mine. The kids are there in the grocery store. They're throwing a tantrum. And you're looking at your kids. You look over to the other adult next to you. He's like, I have no idea who those kids are. (laughs) Somebody should go and get them. But God's there and he says, those are mine. They belong to me. I'm not ashamed of them. In fact, I love them. They're mine. Now we need to ask ourselves this question from the text. Who is who is the they? So verse 16 says it is those who fear the Lord and speak to one another. That, that raises another question. Is, is this group the same or different than the other group who were just saying that it was worthless and pointless to follow God? Well, there's some disagreement on this passage, but, but regarding this, this question of, of who is, is God referring to, might I suggest to you that these two groups of people are one and the same? That is to say that when some of God's people start disputing whether or not it is worthwhile to follow God, it is the responsibility of God's people to speak truth into their lives and to remind each other of God's goodness and that it is worthwhile to follow him. We all need this kind of encouragement from time to time. Uh, You need it. I especially need it. We all need it. Be praying for me. Be praying for you. Always be, be praying for one another. And we, we recently, uh, uh, earlier this year, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and, and Hebrews chapter 10 uh, says it perfectly. And it says, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice the, the language of day drawing near? We're going to get to that in a moment. But this is what we're called to do. We're called to stir up one another, to love one another. And so we're called to not miss any opportunities to meet together with one another. And that especially, uh, though it can, uh, referring to uh, every day of the week, especially though on the Lord's Day. On Sunday, as we're called to gather and worship the Lord and to have fellowship with one another. Just as God reminds us of who we are in his word, we are to remind one another of those truths. But let's think more, let's let's talk more now about what it is that God does remind us of. What is this truth that we can be reminding others of? What is this truth that God himself reminds us of? He says, verse 17, they shall be mine. And then he says, and I will make them my treasured possession. Did you catch that, kids? Treasured 
possession. What does God say is his most treasured possession? What does God say is the thing that he desires the most? It's you. And it's me. It's his people. And what does God say that he's going to do for this treasured possession? This this group of people that he loves so much and cares so much for that he declares are his. He says, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. But here's the thing. Here's the incredible truth. The the thing that we're even celebrating today in this this Advent season is that God desired so much to, to spare his treasured possession, his people, to spare them from the day of his wrath that he did not spare his own son. God says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him, but I will not spare my own son on their behalf. The incarnation, the the birth of God, the son. This is proof that what God says about us is true. That we are his treasured possession, that we belong to him. And so maybe as we are thinking about uh, this sermon and thinking about this time of year and there's so much that goes on and maybe we are feeling down. Maybe we are feeling like that first group of people uh, that, that needed that encouragement, that are wondering, that are, are, are asking themselves and asking God, is it worth it? And maybe this year has brought more heartache than joy and that it's hard to have faith that things will get better. But God does not promise us Our best life now. He promises us something so much better. He promises us that we are his. That we belong to him. That we are his treasured possession. And if he did not spare even his own son for his treasured people, how will he not also give us all things? That is his first and most amazing, wonderful reminder that we have in this passage, that we are his. That's who we are. There's so much wrapped up in just that, that one reminder. And I've, I've spent most of, uh, just about all my time uh, looking at that one, that first reminder of who we are. But let's, let's look now and consider with our time remaining that, that second reminder that he gives us. That second reminder of, of, of what's in store. Of what we have to wait for. As we wrap up this series on the minor prophets. We are met uh, once again with that all important uh, biblical theme that we've talked about. This this day of the Lord that's coming. And here we see the culmination of it. The culmination of this grand theme that was was started in Hosea chapter 3. He started that theme and he he promised his people that there was a day coming. When uh, the Messiah king would come. The king like David. Who would redeem and restore his people. And then Joel picked up on that theme. And he taught us how this day that was coming was was the day of the Lord. And this was a day of both judgment and mercy. And every prophet after that, as they painted their own portrait of King Jesus, they were picking up and incorporating this theme in each of their each of their portraits. And now at the end, Malachi reminds us of this once again. That this day will be a day of of fiery judgment. That it's a day that's burning like an oven that will consume all the workers of evil. All those uh, who are outside of Christ and and leaving neither root nor branch. And this is is a terrifying picture. A terrifying picture of judgment for those outside of Christ. 
But for those who are in Christ, so make sure we understand this, Christian. For those who are in Christ, this is not a reminder of God's wrath as much as it is a reminder of his mercy and his love. Let's look back at uh, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Or perhaps better said, healing in his wings. See, this is just another uh, portrait of Jesus, the king who is coming. Jesus is the righteous king. He, he brings this blazing inferno of his second coming that incinerates all wickedness and, and uh, all, the, all, the, all evil and all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. But for those who are his treasured possession, the heat that he brings will feel like the rays of sun breaking through the clouds on a cold winter morning. He brings healing. He brings, uh, uh, he reinvigorates us. He energizes us. Malachi describes it this way by, by saying that uh, we'll, we'll go out from there leaping like calves, like animals from the stall. And, and not only that, but on this great day when Jesus returns, we'll be vindicated. Our faith will be made sight. We, our faith will be proven true on that day. It will be proven true that it was worth it all along. And so is this church thing worth it? Is this relationship with Jesus so important? Well, God answers that question definitively. He answers the dispute of his people. He says that God, God uh, declares that he cares about his people. In fact, he has separated them out of the world. The world will be burned away. But God's burning fire will be the refining fire of his people when he comes and he makes all things new. And so it is worth it. There is much to gain in every way for our giving our lives to Christ. And God proves this by reminding us and giving us these two reminders of of who we are, that we are his treasured possession and reminding us of of what is to come, that there is joy and peace and life abundant and healing and restoration, that all of these things are our benefits for those who are in Christ. So those are the two reminders. And what are we supposed to do with them now as we, as we head out from this place? What do we do with all of this information? Well, the book of Malachi and Malachi's ministry, he leaves us with a couple ways that we can apply this very practically in our lives. That we can apply these precious reminders that we've just considered. And he tells us in the last, in verses 4, 5, and 6, that we need to be looking back and looking forward. Now, uh, that is, uh, these, these final verses, this is a sermon in and of itself, and uh, I, I'm sure that none of you have any plans the rest of the day, so I, I thought I'll just, I'll just keep going another 30 or so minutes. So is that, I'm going to take that as a no. No, just give me three minutes, and we're going to consider how we can apply these things to our lives. We haven't yet looked at that famous, those, those last two famous verses at the end of Malachi that promise this Elijah who's, who's going to come. We haven't even looked at that yet, but we'll we'll close with this. The final part of Malachi tells us that we should look forward to when Elijah comes again. But we know if we were to turn the page in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, we know that Elijah has come, that he's come in the person of John the Baptist who prepared the way of the Lord. 
And that Jesus himself has come. Elijah has come first. And then uh, the first advent of Jesus has happened. The incarnation. The baby was born in the manger. manger, And uh, Jesus has, has accomplished that work. His ministry on the cross. And so because of that, our, our time frame shifts. But we are still looking ahead. Not to the first coming of Christ. Not to the first advent, but to the second that's that fiery day that Malachi mentions, this, this day of the Lord, that Jesus will come again and he will he'll come in an all-consuming fire and he will make all things new. And so the application for us remains the same. We are to, to look forward to that coming and we are also to look back. That's what verse 4 tells us to do. We're to look back to God's words. That's what he says in verse 4 when he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I gave to him. But this is not just referring to those first five books of our Bibles that were written by Moses, but, but broadly speaking, all 66 books of our Bible, Old and New Testament, all of God's word. The Bible alone is our only rule for, for faith and life, the one perfect source and direction on how we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we look back to scripture, we look back to all the promises of scripture, including the incarnation, including all of it. Because all, in all the pages of Scripture, it reveals to us that eternal Word of God, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, God's Son and our Savior. And so we look to the Scriptures because it reminds us, it helps us to remember who we are, that we belong to God. We are His treasured possession. And we also look forward. We know that Jesus has come and we celebrate his first advent during the season and we should continue to celebrate it today as we, we go from this place. But, uh, but we need to also consider and remember and meditate on his second coming, that he is returning one day. Jesus will come again. There will be no more sickness on that day. There will be no more loneliness. There will be no more arguments, no more disputes, no more pain. Jesus will make all things new. So keep those two reminders close to your heart this morning. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these reminders from your word that we are your treasured possession. That we are your people. As you called us into worship from Psalm 100, that we are the sheep of your pasture. And that you have stored up for us not wrath on that last day, but a glorious life with you. A life everlasting. Thank you that the healing you bring is brighter than even our darkest days and mightier mightier than even our greatest sins. Be with us as we go from this place. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.